This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. How you doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios. My name is Daniel the D3 Cohen. I am speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions' worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I'm a 19-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like many of you guys, I make music out of my own home studio. You know, some of today's biggest hitmakers work from home studios, so maybe we can help one of you accomplish your big dreams. In our last episode, I had the great pleasure of talking to my friend Pete Dell. That was a fantastic conversation and a fantastic two-part episode. You can catch that one on our network site, PantheonPodcast.com, as well as our site, BlueGirlProductions.net, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Today is a very, very dear old friend who I've known my entire life. Today, I am speaking to Keith Pinto, a.k.a. Ken Primo. Keith Pinto, a.k.a. Ken Primo, or as most of the people that I hang out with know him as KP, is a dear old friend and a real multi-talent. He's a dancer, an actor, a singer, a rapper, and a music producer. He has done a lot of different things over my lifetime, including really cool roles in really acclaimed plays and a lot of really cool music in the hip-hop genre and some hybrids between doing hip-hop theater for things like Bay Area Theater Cypher and others. Most recently, KP and I had the pleasure of collaborating and working together on MC Infinite, Carlos Aguirre's album, Critical Minded, and um, it was a real treat to work with him after knowing him all my life. So I'm going to shut up and let's get into my conversation with Mr. Keith Pinto, a.k.a. Ken Primo. Mr. Keith Pinto, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, I know you for my entire life as Ken Primo member of Felonius. <laughs> I think uh, I think that's pretty safe to say. But you're very diverse within not just the music community, but kind of as the in the entertainment community as a whole. You're an actor, a dancer, rapper, singer, keyboardist, producer. Kind of you you've done a little bit of everything. Um, where does that story begin for you? Um, wow. Well, my family is pretty musical. My dad's father played accordion, and um, my dad's sister is uh, a really great pianist. And 
she could have been a concert pianist, but she's kind of shy. But she, you know, that's like her skill level. She's really great. Anyway, uh, my sisters and I took piano lessons and when we were young and, um, and my dad plays piano and accordion and he even has a bass guitar. Um, <laughs> I don't remember the last time he played it, but, <laughs> sure. um, anyway, we've, we're just always into music and, uh. And singing, of course, in in church, and then doing talent shows and things like that uh, got me into performing. And then I started doing theater, musical theater, in like fifth grade. Basically, after that first experience, I I got the bug, and that was it. I never wanted to do anything else, um, but performance and. And theater and musical theater was, was what I was super into. And then a few years after that, I realized I needed to learn how to dance if I wanted to be competitive in musical theater. So I started training uh, in dance and that was like jazz, tap, ballet, and hip hop. And that was my first experience with hip hop culture really was, um, through through dance and at the time that was like the party moves of of the the 90s sure dance music hip-hop dance music it wasn't until years later that i got into the more lyrical side of it and sort of started to appreciate it through a different lens gotcha yeah well i mean that's that's kind of the the thing right it- Oftentimes you you hear at least in in early stages of hip hop is like there there are three ways to get in through through the lyrical side through the dance side and and then through the counterculture of the graffiti scene and uh, dance always seemed to be the most interesting because it it to my mind led a lot more places than either of the other two you you see a lot of the the guys in in dance it, at least. Maybe not in the big time these days, but certainly a lot of dancers go into different things in in the hip hop culture. And it's also, to my head, really important in that hip hop is very much based around rhythm. And and coming from that background, um, I like to think of hip hop is very much a rhythmic thing so having having that background similar to somebody who came from a drummer perspective or a drummer's background it is also very important yeah so yeah, I'm with that where where does the transition come for you from being a dancer to being in the music um well it really came in college when I met uh, Dan Wolf and Tommy Shepard. Um, and and Gendel Hernandez, Gendel Hing Hernandez. Um, and these are all, you know, felonious, felonious crew. Um, we were in 
so so we went to a, a school called Pacific Conservatory of Performing Arts, and it was a conservatory training program um, through a junior college. Uh, but it's it's a conservatory, so it's it's very specific. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no GE. It's just like all um, specific to acting and stagecraft. Um, anyway, but it's a, a PCPA is also a professional theater company. So there's main stage shows and your teachers are the resident artists of the company. And so they're, they're, you know, starring in the shows and teaching you during the day. And there's opportunity for students to be cast in shows. It's no guarantee, but that, that is a possibility. Hmm. Um, so it's really great. Like it's a fantastic school. It's still doing its thing. And it's, um, as far as training for the, you know, to be a professional in theater, it's, it's, it's tops in my opinion. Anyway. Um, so we, we got cast in this main stage show. Actually it was, it was the off stage this like black box theater um but still one of their you know main main shows and it was called stand up tragedy you know i don't know how much it had been done but it had been done in new york on broadway or maybe off broadway but it was this show about an inner city school and this um this kid that was going there that had this like active imagination and he created comic books and his real life was kind of a nightmare, but his his imagination life was rich and and so within the realm of his of his imagination and this comic book world, it was all through rap. It was all through song and and dance and choreography. Gandel actually booked the lead character, and then the rest of us were students at the school. And, um, basically it wasn't a musical, right? And, um, but there was music and there were musical numbers, but all you would get, you got the script, right? And then you, they sent a cassette tape of instrumental beats and there was no indication how they actually fit to the script. And there was no music to tell you like the, the, the raps quote unquote, were, which in the script were just like all caps. There was no indication of how they fit to the music, what the actual rhythm was. It was just this, like, here's the script. Here's the cassette with beats. Have Ooh. fun. So, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So the director realizing, you know, that he's not, um, qualified to even try (laughs) to figure this out sure he tapped dan and tommy to essentially be the music directors and figure out how these words are going to go with the music figure out what song goes to what um piece of lyric and um and and that was that was that that was their job and in addition to being in the show and then they tapped me to choreograph um, these dance numbers. So that was our first experience with hip hop theater. And um, 
and that show, I mean, set the stage for our, for the next 20 years of our lives and continue, you know, continuing sure. on to, to what we do. Sure. Um, yeah. And then within that, that experience, Dan and Tommy started felonious punk and they also started writing beatboxer rapperetta. Uh, and then eventually I convinced them to let me be <laughs> in the band. <laughs> basically begged i was like whatever i need to do just come on let how can i be down <laughs> sure um anyway the rest is history yeah <laughs> well i mean we're just a couple of years away from the felonious 25th it's what only two years away now right oh yeah i guess so so it really is history history living now um yeah. Now you you were the you are the keyboardist in Felonious. Um, being a keyboard player and and seeing how much modern hip hop revolves around programming and playing via keyboard instruments, uh, you know all the synthesizers. A lot of samples are triggered from from keyboard instruments. Was what was it like being kind of the early keyboard player in a in a hybrid hip hop? band it was i mean it was cool i at the end of the day i am a faker like i i i know chords and i took piano lessons when i was young but of course at the time i wasn't really into it and i never wanted to practice and i would do it um especially when it came to like performing in a talent show like playing the piano and singing at the same time then i was like into it when it when it came to actual performance right but i i never really learned how to re sight read music i would muscle through until i had it memorized and then i would just like play you know um sure so as far as felonius was concerned i mean we had a keyboard player um fletcher who was who was dope he was great um but he actually he went to cuba to study music and we never well we we did hear from him again but in a sort of in a sort of way we never heard from him again he just kind of like disappeared and we were like well we still need to play shows or we still want to play shows so and at that time we were sort of figuring out the band we had had like a couple different drummers so then it all started to coalesce around tommy drumming and me playing keys and you know it it worked you can get away with a lot in a hip-hop band because it doesn't have to be you know it's not beethoven or anything it's like pretty much just chord based and and rhythm right you got to have good good rhythm so i made it work but i've never been like a player where you're like okay here you go take your take your key solo and be able to just like go to town i had to like know what i was doing beforehand you know what i'm saying oh dude it's so relatable yeah. i mean it, up until a couple of years ago when my my keyboardist in my band uh went away to college i was kind of you know I, I hadn't really put much time into practicing keys a lot you know 
And it was like one of those things where I, I looked at my keyboards and I, I went, you know, this I should practice, but I'm, I'm not super motivated. And at the time I was the drummer in the band. So I kept telling myself I had to practice more drums. And I, you know, when the time came where I had to get a drummer to play gigs and then play the keyboard parts myself, because I was writing a lot at that point. And this was, was Danger 8? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, my yeah. my my keyboard player, who I've known since I was nine years old, went away to UC Santa Cruz, and I had to fill his spot. So then I then I hired a drummer to fill my my role, um, while he was at school, and then I played the keyboard parts. Nice. And that was that was that was like a, that that I I can remember the first rehearsal, and it was just a total wake up call that I <laughs> that I was so out of practice. I went, oh, I I need to sit here for hours, you know, otherwise I'm I'm gonna really mess this up um so so on the topic of of you know having to get by on on keys i i completely understand <laughs> like more than more than you know <laughs> nice so from there you you are a producer how do you get into production i, I presume it's somewhere on the lo- along the lines of felonius needed somebody to pr- produce something in the studio um actually no it was Really? I mean, sort of. So we had recorded our first full-length album, The List, and that was all live instruments. Sure. Um, and then we wanted to do our our second album. We wanted to do like produced beats, and we we so we did, and we called it the Produce Section. And um, Dan Wolf got an MPC two thousand, so he was making beats at that point and then we were we were all contributing um sample wise but he was programming the beats and dylan dylan mills who who your pops dubbed skill saw because he could just do everything i mean dylan is is a madman so anyway yeah production wise that was dan and dylan but eventually dan was like you know, he was into it, but he wasn't that into it. And there was lots to be done at that point. And he was definitely focusing more on writing. And so I got the MPC from him. And then I started just just messing around. It was sort of like a hobby, really. I was like making a crazy amount of beats, but didn't do anything with them really oh god relatable Um, yeah just and (laughs) you know just staying up to all hours of the night of course burning cds and then we would play them all the time and you know i would feel accomplished if if something i made made carlos freestyle for an hour um (laughs) then i was like cool that's that's good enough for me i guess um eventually i did produce something that wound up on Live City, our last album, before it sort of fizzled out. Yeah, so the production work I've been doing recently is actually the the most like real like real shit to go down. <laughs> like songs coming to fruition and being like on Spotify, or you can actually download them. Right. Um, so that's that's exciting, and that's all happened within the last couple years. Sure. Um, so it's definitely been a long time coming. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I heard 
I remember when White Black Brown first was dropping year before last, 2018, 2019 sometime, and it was you and Carlos. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it, and I, nice. I was always nice. I was always curious, you know, where, where's where's everything else? I, I, I was kind of <laughs> like looking for for all the before, but you know, as as like a, a as a body of work, and I'm sure I'm sure there's stuff that that I'm I'm forgetting before it, but as a body of work, it's it's a solid place to be, and I think I think it as as far as Carlos's music as well as your production skills, it was a, it was a fabulous setup for what he just released. Um, which yeah. is, which you and I both are on, uh, yeah. uh critical minded, which yes. he's been talking about since 2014 <laughs> <laughs> on the topic of things produced with, with other people. I know I've been talking about Carlos a lot. How do you, what's your process when it comes to production? Do you like the collaboration or do you like, going to someone with a beat already made like like producing with them in mind but not necessarily collaborating with them on it right um i mean both both is fun i i definitely like to collaborate and you know if i'm going to make something for someone at least like bpm <laughs> is cool you know, like, let me know what your go-to BPM is. And then I can s sort of from there figure out at least how to, to start, you know? Sure. But, you know, different people work in different ways. And um, I've just been working on this currency project with, uh, with Dan Wolf and Phil Wong and these other just like amazing fantastic artists um anyway um and so that's been interesting because it's an ensemble and each each person has their way that they like to work so i don't know if if there's one way that i like better so for example with ryan nicole she likes to send a youtube link to a style of beat that she's like okay i'm feeling this for this song and then i can take that and kind of do a like one-off right or just go off of that for inspiration for the beat and that's that's worked pretty well um and I actually just worked with her on this project for uh the conservatory at act where they're working on a production of as you like it and um with with music and ryan is wrote all the the songs and she tapped me to uh fill in for some production that that she needed um and that's how we did that whole thing is that she was like okay i need something that's like like a this type of song and like this song she would send me links to youtube and then i'd be like okay cool and then but then there were there are different artists who were like one way who, you know, I had something that I had made completely with him in mind. And so I was just like, so I have this beat and he's like, great, I'll use it. I'm like, well, let me know if you need anything. He's like, nope, it's cool. I'll I'll do it. <laughs> so um, so that's, of course, f satisfying. Right. But also easy. <laughs> right. 
Um, and then, and then one of the other artists, Delina, Delina Dream, um, who's fantastic. And she actually just released, uh, an EP called The Fall. And I produced the title track from it. Um, and she was part of this currency project as well. And so writing, creating the song with her was a lot more involved because she was singing within it. Um, and so, you know, chord progression and making sure it's the right key and all that stuff was a lot more involved and there was a lot more back and forth. And that's totally fun as well. And and then because we worked together so well with that uh, Currency episode one, then right after that, she was like, I'm trying to release this, this EP and um, looking for some, you know, some other instrumentals. And so we, we worked together on it and it was, it was wonderful. Nice. Yeah. But then like for Los, you know, we, we known each other for so long. We've been roommates, we're brothers, we're collaborators. So we have a real like shorthand, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, as far as the white, black, brown, project you know that started as me just making just for fun these beats from black keys black keys songs um Mm -hmm. because when i listen to the black keys i'm like i just hear samples like their music just screams to be sampled to me so i had just started fiddling around and then carlos kind of got this idea of like oh white boy black keys and a brown rapper um (laughs) and so then we just threw together like four songs and and put that out on soundcloud and um basically like a free download you know because we can't sell those sure (laughs) those songs for copyright but um but then after we had that he was like well let's do a remix because we have the, the vocals, so you can just make new beats for it. Um, and that's how White, Black, Brown came about. Just trying to have something um, to showcase beats that I'd been making, but then also to have something that we could like put on Spotify and, and iTunes and really promote and, and get out there. Sure. Yeah. Now... I, I you were just talking about black key samples. Um, yeah, that that brought up a good question for for me. When you're doing a collaboration, how often is it that somebody comes to you with a sample? Not very often, but I haven't done like I haven't collaborated that much with people. Sure, sure. You know, that's not that hasn't really happened yet. But of course, like with Los, we talk about samples and all the time. We are sort we're getting ready to kind of start a new musical venture together where we would be a production team. And so within that, there will be, yeah, a lot of like back and forth with like, oh, here's a sample idea. Take that, do something with it. And then, yeah, it's it's not even um a fully formed idea it's just something we've been talking about sure well i you know i got to admit i've been waiting for the day that he he sends me a sample 
it just a, just a few days ago, he and I were talking, and and he said, "I have the craziest vinyl collection you have ever seen," and you know me with my with my mother's you know forty year old vinyl collection. Oh yeah, that that spans a wall. I'm like, right, sure, yeah, right, of course you do, <laughs> and. And he's like, I got insert weird Japanese funk band name here. Yeah. On the first pressing on the, with the original sleeve. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I, so I'm awaiting the day when either you or I gets a phone call or both of us gets a phone call from Carlos going, (laughs) I have, I've just sampled this album. Um, make a beat with it. Yeah. (laughs) He's just crazy enough to do it. Oh yeah. And no, he's, he's into it. Yeah, he's been diving into these YouTube channels of obscure 70s bands with just so much material. And there's a ton. There's a ton in there. It's just like you're listening to it and you're like, oh, that's a sample. Oh, that's a sample. Oh, that's a sample. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's way into it. I mean, mo- most of the things out there that he finds are are worth sampling. You know, it's like it. Some of the things that he was talking about, and I he would send he sent me a couple of YouTube links, and I was like, "So you're probably sending me this so you can call me in six months and say, hey, let's make a beat out of that,' or, hey, put horns on this beat that I had Keith make for me, yeah, <laughs> with the sample that I sent you six months ago. Um, yeah, he's 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 doing some ridiculous stuff. Um, and I, I suppose as, as a transition point, um, there's a particular song that I think everybody is really, uh, enjoying off of his album. And it's most definitely like the one, the one that I've heard people talking about the most is one you produced. Oh, um, wow. Called wish a motherfucker would. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it is certainly my favorite song on that album. Oh I, yeah, that's nice. I, Thank you. I mean, I I love that whole album, but that's just you know that that beat and his and and his approach to that uh, verse that he did. Yeah, it's bananas. How did that one come about? I remember when we were working on that, and I was doing all the uh, the post production stuff to send the mixer. He he had said he had a beat, and then it was promised to somebody else. Yeah. And so he had you make one around the, around that idea. Totally. So, so there's this guy, Axel Polly, who's a German producer and we, Felonius has a whole history of going out to Hamburg. Um, and, and Dan Wolf's got all this like amazing, rich family history out there. So we all got to go around, around that. And then we linked with these these really cool German hip hop artists, and uh, and then we we got to go back a few times, and one of the times we we recorded an album, and basically lived in the studio, some of us literally sleeping in the vocal booth, <laughs> <laughs> and one of the producers we worked with, actually the producer that produced most of the songs on Up to Something which is our third album. His name is Axel Polly, And anyway, prolific beat maker and super sick with it. And so, yeah, he had made a beat and he had given, you know, he would send Carlos CDs of beats 
and um and so Carlos and Tommy started riding to this beat and then it turned out that Polly had promised it to someone else um he works with this big I don't know if they're platinum selling but they're like a huge band out in Germany called Fetus Brot I might be saying that wrong anyway um so they they had dibs on this beat and so carlos was was he came to me and was like yeah can you make something like this and it was it was it was in six four time so yeah that was it and so then i made i whipped something together and then you know six years passed or whatever (laughs) (laughs) right or longer six years passed then i touched it yeah 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 it was a huge mess um (laughs) When I when I made the beat, I was working on an MPC one thousand, and now I use Studio, which makes everything so easy, uh, especially for tracking tracking out, you know. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I was I was going <laughs> like I would record analog into a CD burner, and that's how I got tracks. That's how I tracked out um, music from the 1000. And I'm sure there was a better way to do it, but like, I did not know how. Um, Anyway. So yeah, so that beat was an MP3 and then he recorded lyrics over the MP3. And so then when we went to track it out, as you know, nothing lined up and so wackiness ensues and then daniel has to waste like 12 plus hours trying to figure out nah nah it was only, it was only, it was only it like five it was only like five it's all right <laughs> no it was it was funny though it's like sitting you know, in the middle of a pandemic, sitting in a Zoom call because we can't sit next to each other to figure yeah, this out. Totally. And then, you know, figuring out whether we're actually going to have the track for the, it's like, oh God, talking to Carlos the day later, I I was like, Are you sure this has to be on on the album? Can't can't <laughs> can't you just have a nine song album with the intro <laughs> making it an even ten? Yeah. Please. Yeah. Luckily, luckily it didn't take that much work. Once once it got figured out, it made yeah, it made well, sense. Yeah, once I figured out my fatal mistake. <laughs> no, it wasn't a mistake. It's just that I outsmarted myself basically and forgot what I had done. I mean, you know the story, but for the sake of posterity. Um so when I made the beat originally on the the one the MPC one thousand, I had it in my mind to try to to make the flow of the song more human like, which and works. So, and so like, I was like, okay, I want the hook to be slightly slower than the verse. You know, if you listen to the song, you can kind of feel why I would want that. You know, because the because the the lyrics are so like frenetic and just crazy over the um 6/4 beat and um and then the hook really it kind of just like not slows down but it's almost like I could I could hear it in my mind if a band was playing it you know yeah um and so I I I did that I 
made the I've already forgotten now what it was, but it was like the hook I, was. I can I can tell you because I built a tempo <laughs> okay. map. When, once you sent me the proper, once yeah. you sent me all the exploded tracks, I built a tempo map to make sure that we didn't have any problems anymore. Um, so the the hooks and everything was one hundred. The verses were all one hundred two. Yeah, and you know what <laughs> I I said this at the album release. I will say it again. Um, I I I like quoting uh the Nevermind sessions Nirvana's Nevermind um which I think the song is Breed okay I think it might it might be Lithium I I tend to get the two mixed up I'm so happy today I think that's I think that's Lithium yeah right um I think but and anyhow so that song um they made Dave Grohl play to a click Oh. And, and before that he was like, he was actively speeding up in, in the choruses. Um, and I, I watched the, uh, the sound city documentary and the sound city documentary made it make sense because I always thought that the choruses got slower, but they're oh. actually the same tempo. Um, they just feel like they're dragging because it was initially written. So it would speed up in those, uh, in those places. Yeah. But the producers weren't, they were Butch like, Vig no. wasn't having it. Yeah. Because Butch Vig, drummer of garbage, was like, no, kid, you're, you're not, you're not fucking doing that. So it sounds somewhat slower. So I actually, after the fact, just to hear what it would sound like, and this is already after all the tracks had been sent out to, uh, what's his name? Casey Golden, who mixed the, who mixed the album for Carlos. Yeah. Um, I decided to time align one of the, uh, one of the verses to a hundred BPM and bring it back to hundred BPM. And the thing felt dr like it dragged. Uh, um, so I don't know if I, you know, nearly lighting all of our hair on fire was probably <laughs> worth it for, for a song that sounds better. Well, it wouldn't have been so bad if I hadn't forgotten that I did that, <laughs> you know, and that was the problem is because we were putting, like I tracked out the new instrumental with my new system that makes it so easy to track shit out. And I was like, okay, a hundred BPM. Cool. Let's, let's do it. And then we were, you know, you like lined the lyrics up and it was not working. It's like, what is going on? Ugh. And so then I was, there was that one day where I was trying to redo everything. I don't even remember what we had said we were going to do. I um, was I was going to timeline horns because I know how to do quantization on horns and you were going to do all the quantization on the vocals. Right. And that and that and we were going to like divide and conquer. Yeah. But that's right. So I started taking vocal stems and trying to lay it out over the beat and make it work and I was just like this is not working. Like I can't and like no amount of like chopping up the vocal track and trying to nudge things this way and that, you know? Um, it, it just wasn't panning out. And I was just like, oh my God, I don't like, I'm not going to be successful. And then, and then as I was just kind of stewing, it hit me <laughs> like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh my God, I, I remember now I remember what I did and why this is not working. Oh God. And you were so happy when you had that epiphany. <laughs> yeah. 
I, and I was so happy for you because it meant I could just do it. We wouldn't have a, a really bummed out Carlos. Yeah. You know, I, I can only imagine what would have happened had he been like, you know, on the release party on the whole zoom thing on the Twitch stream and him being like, we would have had we this had. track. Well, it was just, it would have been so tragic because on so many levels, because there were so many amazing contributions from these other artists. So it wouldn't have just been like a dope song Carlos wrote, which would have been, you know, right. too bad, of course. You know? It was it was but, Breathless's verse and Tommy's verse and yeah. all those harmonies and, that they both put on. Yeah, and, and then Adam's horns. like And Adam's oh, everything. It, yeah, it would have been horrendous. Anyway, no. but we figured it out. And you know what? The <laughs> that that whole thing allowed for me to go in after the fact and go, "Hey Carlos, this this feels a little bit like an abrupt start because everything was starting right on bar 1." So, all the like the horn parts started on bar 1, all the all the the drums started on bar 1, the the all the vocals started on bar 1 and I was like, "Hey Carlos, this feels a little bit abrupt. Do you do you agree?" And he went, "Yeah. Yeah, I I agree." So that that actually allowed us to, after the fact, sit there on a Zoom call and piece together an intro. Yeah, which which you know, had it not been in, had you not sent me the files the way you had sent me them, which was the hook, the verse, and the transitions all yeah in different stems. Yeah, that would not have been possible. Yeah, so you could put it all together. Yeah, so. I like to create and what I'm bad at is homework. So when I'm using a program like the MPC, like I don't know how to do everything you can do on that thing. Sure. So with the MPC 1000, it was very easy to, you know, in song mode, you could put different sequences together. And if one sequence was a different BPM, when you put it together in song mode, it retained those BPMs of the individual sequences. Right. But in the, in the MPC studio, I don't, if you can do it, I don't know how to do it. And so I couldn't give you the entire song all together in stems. I had to do it that way because I, I don't know how to. Honestly, I was so glad that you did. I'm, I'm so glad that you did though. Um, because it, it actually, you know, one, one might think that it would have made, made life easier just to have the whole thing in one piece, but it, it honestly, it, it honestly made it easier to fit the whole track together. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and also because they were all, actually this, this is why since they were all lined up um in three separate sections that allowed me to go back and build out the tempo map so that my daw could then figure out each of the tempos so it right. wouldn't get confused yeah. so it made it, it actually did make life a lot easier because every every line was clear cut yeah um <laughs> my god oh the, oh the things that we do for music yeah it was worth it oh totally totally <laughs> uh, i i that's it's probably a monster track. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I I think that's the one that I've listened to the most. Um, aside from maybe all the all the uh, all the different 
versions of Legendary that I that I had recorded and oh, sent off that would to be, uh, and sent off to Carlos. That would be fun to hear. Yeah, I, I, I'll have to send you the original. Oh my god, it sounds so so. My myself and my bandmate Evan built out that intro. Right? Okay, I, I did a base. I did a pretty basic arrangement and like had a. I had a a line that I drew out on a synthesizer. It sounds like an '80s video game, like like the like the evil villain in the '80s video game <laughs> for an <laughs> NES or something. And and I remember him saying, "It sounds like a pirate video game." Are you sure that's what this song needs? And I'm like, "Just, just trust me. It's just the sound. Play it." And he went, "Okay." So he so he played the first line. He went, "I I'm beginning to understand, but it's not. I I I don't get it yet." And then and then all of a sudden. We we had this crazy intro. He did he did the craziest shit, man. He put I think eighteen different saxophone parts on that whole thing. Wow. They got pared they got pared down once yeah. you got in the main body of the song, but it was no, it was it was a feat. I I, <laughs> I had him doing you know eighteen parts across two saxophones, and he made himself do a couple of those parts. I was I was really proud of him. Wow, it was a it was it was a crazy thing that that song and. And wish a motherfucker would were were a lot of fun to to do, um, because they were the most involved. Yeah, like totally. Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc was fun because you know you got to you got to hear Sonia D's vocals. Yeah. And did you hear those stems? No. If Carlos lets me, I'll I, I'll have to send you those those blank stems. Just no beat, just her. They're so good. They're so good. Wow. Um, and you know. All, all the all the stuff that Shayna did on on Rise, oh yeah, and all the vocals on Rise with Candice and Tommy, yeah, yeah. The 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 whole album is just it's it's so a, it, great. It's a gorgeous body of work. Yeah, but wish a motherfucker would that that is I th- you know if if the whole if the whole thing is a Sunday, that's the cherry on top. <laughs> the mad mad cherry, angry cherry. <laughs> We've talked a lot about production, but lately you've really been doing a lot of acting. I mean, prior to the pandemic, you were Sweeney Todd. You had a, you were Frank and Furter in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You've yeah. you've done a lot of you've done a lot of big leads lately. Billy Flynn, I believe, is the most recent one. That was the right last before thing the pandemic I did, yeah. in Chicago, right? Yeah. So how how does your uh, coming from somebody who took one one acting summer camp and ended up being the narrator at nine years old. Um, that's my, nice. that's my one claim to fame being nice. the narrator for Shrek. Yes. For, for a, for a children's musical. Um, how does your music background inform your acting? I mean, I know a lot of stuff that you do is musical. Um, so what, what's that like for you going from, from music to acting and then back? I primarily do musical theater, so they're completely (laughs) intertwined. Um, You really can't separate them if you want it to be good. (laughs) Sure. You, you gotta, the, the acting is, is totally important. I mean, and honestly, it's kind of the most important thing in, in musical theater. Um, even someone who isn't the greatest singer can still totally knock it out of the park if they can act the song. 
And, you know, you could have a singer that's incredible, but if they, if they don't get the character, then it can still be just surface, you know, they are linked fundamentally. Now, in the topic of dance, you, you are, uh, on faculty at SJSU, San Jose State University. Um, and obviously, as we were talking about earlier, you come from a dance background a bit. on top of your, your musical background. Yeah. Um, how does, how does dance fit in? That's kind of your big three for you, right? Is, mm-hmm. is music, music, um, stage, stage acting and, and dance. Obviously in, in theater, I'm sure the, the, the dance background comes in as we are talking about musical theater, a lot of dance in musical theater. Does dance inform your music choices at all? Do you, do you think of a, do you, do you produce beats to dance to, or do you ever hear a beat when you're thinking of choreography, think, things like that? Um, yeah, sometimes. Um, I have. I don't. Oh God, have I have I actually used my own beats in class before? Yeah, a little bit. Not a ton. I think just, you know, just being connected to rhythm i think tempo the relationship between just kick and snare you know right um that definitely informs a lot it all works together you know yeah um but i don't know per se if if i would say that that when i'm making a beat i'm thinking about choreography as far as production i don't necessarily make dance music sure or maybe it's that like inspiration wise as far as choreography it's like the surprise of someone else's music inspires choreography to come out whereas when it's my own it's like i don't (laughs) It's like I don't hear it completely. No, I, I, I totally. You know what get I mean? That. Yeah, I mean it's the, it's the same, it's the same principle of why people don't like often mixing their own music because it's, it's one of those things that they're, they're so attached to it. Yeah, you're too and, close to it, and you, uh, you don't have the objective, the objective ear. And I, I, I would assume it's similar in dance, where it, if you are a musician, perhaps it, you could hypothetically do uh, a song for your dancing but it's maybe not as objectively good maybe some people can do it but yeah i'm I'm sure that people do you know um yeah but it's just not something that i've really put time into trying trying to do but i should (laughs) oh yeah i mean it's it's a it's a wonderful experiment i mean i I don't dance. Um, I'm the pretty stereotypical drummer. The drummer doesn't dance. Um, <laughs> but I think the the closest parallel I could come to really is something like this podcast where, you know, I had to get very, very accustomed to the sound of my own voice and very, very quickly at that. Yeah. And I had to understand how to, I guess, turn off the... Um, 
turn off the interviewer in a way mm-hmm. once once it gets to the edit bay. Um, and I I now have some help doing the edits, um, which I'm I'm very fortunate. Um, my nice. my my mother has um has a really good ear. And I realized that she had the technological capability enough to um, learn how to do engineering. And I figured the kind of the best place to start her on a journey of audio engineering was was here because, you know, it's it's two people talking and you don't you don't have to do a lot of quantization. Well, any quantization. And there's like, you know, the 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 biggest trick you have to figure out is. um is maybe putting a crossfade in a cut. Right. But as, as far as like, you know, as far as doing the edit, you have to have that inspiration and some amount of objectivity. Um, and I know I certainly was, uh, not as objective as I could have been in, in, (laughs) in my endeavors in the past. Um, when, once I got a little bit later into the show, it made a little bit more sense, but, um, I, I suppose in that way, going back to dance and making your own music, it, it, it makes sense. It's something, it's something that's a cool thing to try. If this podcast is any, is any indication of, of, you know, the, the one man band sort of deal, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure you would enjoy it. Um, but it's certainly a level of objectivity, um, but good yeah. discipline, definitely good discipline. Yeah. Which I'm horrible at. <laughs> trust me if, i'm I'm a 19 year old in the middle of a pandemic with <laughs> online schoolwork to do talk to me about discipline <laughs> oh i i would not survive how how has the pandemic been for you as a college professor um it's been surreal i mean so i teach i teach a, a dance class um, well, three dance classes for SJSU, and they are level one jazz classes, but I teach hip-hop technique as opposed to jazz, so it's just sort of like a little like word-of-mouth thing that, that students know that there's one jazz class that's actually a hip-hop class. <laughs> my, my student makeup is is mostly undergrads looking for PE credit because it is a jazz one class. Technically a lot of dance majors, well, the, the dance majors, if they want to take my class, they sort of have to have extra time to retake jazz one because if they're taking jazz one, they need to actually take jazz technique because that's fundamental more to what they're doing, you know, um, for the program, I do get some dance majors and minors, but for the most part, it's other students, uh, who are getting their PE credit. So because of that, uh, I was completely online and on zoom, whereas the rest of the program was doing a hybrid model. And so students were coming to campus and dancing in small pods they would actually get to dance together you know with 12 feet of space and masked and all that stuff 
but they were actually, you know, getting to have some of that real experience, but the level ones were all on Zoom. So I've been teaching on my patio and now in the garage. I mean, it's nice to not have to drive to San Jose from Pinole, that's for sure. Fair. But but as far as a real dance experience, I mean, there's just no comparison. It's really difficult to communicate movement on Zoom. Sure. Depth perception is all weird. Just just right and left is all mixed up. Um, yeah, half, because half everything's pe- backwards, half, and some people figured out how to not be backwards. So, and then and then communicating energy is incredibly difficult. So much of a dance class is is about the energy in the room. There, this there's so much. It, it we've gotten through it, and. On one small level, I will be, you know, sad that I don't get to be at home all day. And my wife is actually super sad because she's like, I love having you teach classes in the garage while we're home all day. It's just fun, you know? Right. But as far as like actually having a good experience for the students and truly imparting any technique wisdom style just everything that to be a successful dance teacher it's just severely lacking in a zoom format i can understand that one of the things that and this is going back to parallels with with this podcast and you know i i don't think it would be possible for me to do this podcast without uh without a tool like this even if I, we weren't in a pandemic. I, I often look to some of the guests, especially some of the local guests that I could have had in studio or could have done a, a remote session and you know, gone over with, with some kind of mobile rig. And I, I think to myself, I wonder what the conversation would have been like had we both been in a room. Right. You know, are, are, we, are we having the most fulfilling conversation? You know, hmm. and 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 you know, not to play downplay the beauty of a phone call. I, I I love talking to people on the phone. I love you know video chatting and all that stuff. But there's there's really nothing like being in a room with somebody. Yeah. Um, be it speaking or collaborating or uh, or teaching. And I I know as a student myself, I, I you know I I I too enjoy being home. I get to be in my studio all day if I, if I so choose to be, but yeah, there's, there's that level of, you know, longing to be at campus, especially, you know, as, as, as somebody taking two degrees right now, it's, it's a little bit strange to, to be home all the time. Yeah. That's crazy. Until we can get back to, uh, until <laughs> let's, let's, let's hope we can get back to, uh, to school this, this, uh, this coming fall. Hey. Eh? <laughs> yeah, seems seems like it's going that way. Aside from school, what are you what are you looking forward to once once you first get back into real life, whatever that hell that means these days? Uh, yeah. It'll be nice to like have people over to the house. 
We actually, we've, this whole time, we've had a really sweet little COVID pod of these two couples. Um, from day one, we were all just like, okay, this is, we're going to be a COVID pod. So we actually have been hanging out with, with some folks. Um, but we moved into this new house and then a couple months later, a few months later, it all fell apart. Um, right. So we never had, we never got to have like a big housewarming party or anything like that. So that, that'll be cool. Like just, you know, friends and people that were like, oh, we want to have you over. And of course, being able to do a, a theatrical contract will be great. Theoretically, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't but, blame you. Yeah. But, but on another level, I, like I have a little bit of anxiety about like going back to real quote, real life. There's a part of me that doesn't want to. I understand that. I really understand that. I, I've grappled with that myself. Yeah. I mean, it's also just like what I used to do on a daily basis, you know, as an artist, like doing theater and teaching and i mean it's just just those two things so time consuming and when you know when i had like 3 gigs at once you know that type of thing just leaving at 6am and not getting home till midnight living in my car you know staying at my folks house down on the peninsula for weeks at a time because it just made more sense because of where I was working. Um, right. Yeah. It's, it's just a lot exhausting. Um, and you know, when it goes back to normal, it's, I'm going to, I'll be back to that. Right. Um, and so, so yes, I want to be able to do a show. I would love to perform on stage in front of people. Um, but yeah, but <laughs> that's, 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 uh, yeah. I don't know. There was, there was something so pleasant about having last summer off, you know, mm-hmm. not, not having a, and I, I love the people I work with in the summers working, working concerts and festivals and, and all that stuff. And, and, you know, like there, there's, there's a beauty in, you know, it being two in the morning, your shift is already technically over, but they've kept you because you have to pull cotter pins out of truss to, <laughs> to pull, to pull a banner down, you know, and you're sitting there with your buddy and you're like, well, the, the truss is all down. We just have to start pulling pins. So, so there is, there is that, that fun aspect yeah. of, of being in uh, being in a, a a gig or or playing or or being a part of a crew again, mm-hmm. but there's there there I I completely agree with the like Jesus I'm I'm gonna spend a ton of time away from home. Um, I'm we're not gonna you know there's there's maybe something super productive that I'm not gonna be able to do. Yeah. Um, and there's there's other things yeah and other interests the dog that... is gonna freak out oh boy how old's the dog 
the dog is three or four. Mm. And um, we've had her for a year. <laughs> and what, so a, what she, a year to get a dog. Yeah, all she's known is <laughs> us being home 24-7. So, yeah, we're both a little scared for when for when we have to be gone all day long. Eh, maybe the, maybe the neighbor boy can uh can take care of the can take care of the dog. Who knows. Yeah, that's that was like 80% of what I used to do was just like figure out what to do with our with our old dog Champ. You know, I don't know if you if I've ever spoken about what my wife does, but you know, she's also a musical theater actor and she works on the road a lot. She does, you know, Broadway, um, tours, Mm. um, national tours and, um, pretty much our entire relationship. She has been on the road and in New York and in Vegas and just going from one show to another. She's, a badass and um super proud of her uh but as far as having a dog <laughs> and my schedule be weird. it was a constant finagle process of just like trying to figure out what to do with him while i was gone for 12 hours um anyway cue cue my parents i stayed with them a lot so they could look after the pooch so that's probably going to happen again sorry mom and dad <laughs> well we're lucky we have parents to look out for us eh? yeah When you know somebody for a very long time, maybe all your life like me, there are a lot of aspects that you don't really think about of your friends, but aren't things you actually know. Today's episode was a great example of that and allowed me to get an inside look at my friend that I hadn't really thought of before. KP, man, thank you for being on the show. It was so fun having you on, and it's been so fun being able to keep in touch with you and collaborating on work of Carlos for the last couple of months. I can't wait when we get another project soon. For all of you interested in checking out KP and everything that he's doing, check out his About the Artist page and see all of his theater credits, as well as giving him a follow on Instagram at KPFCrew. You won't be sorry.
rounds, one, two, three. I got angles, hey, dance circles round you, bitch. That is not a tangle. Welcome to Gear Talk. Today I wanted to talk about something that I've sort of talked about in different iterations before in the ongoing conversation about hardware v. software debate, but today I want to get into more of the software side of things and controlling the software and thus bringing up the term controllers. Now, for a guy like KP, Keith has used an MPC to build his beats for a very long time and has now gone into MPC software and using the MPC controller to build his beats. So this brings up a question in my head, which is how often do you really need a controller and do you need one at all? Now for me, I enjoy having a keyboard at some point in the process. I've programmed a lot of things in Reason and Pro Tools and GarageBand and Logic, you name it, I've probably programmed in it. But I've often found that it is far easier and frankly far more fun for me to play and then clean it up later. So where does that leave you? Let me know. I want to find out how many people actually need controllers and how many people need keyboards and how many people can work without them. This actually brings up another interesting point. With things like the Novation launch key and launch pad and things like the Ableton push, you have a lot of options for keyboard controllers or just button controllers for programming your beats. Now, the push seems rather compelling for a lot of people, but I've frankly never understood it so much, especially when dealing with melodies and chordal progressions. Now, I do understand that you can program chords and notes into the push, but at the same time, it just seems so clunky compared to a regular keyboard. Drums, I get it. Sequencing and arrangement, I get it. Being able to mute things, I understand it. But melodic and chordal arrangements, I, I, I'm still on the fence. So, like I said before, I'm going to turn this one over to all of you. Let me know. Send me an email at r2r.bluegirl at gmail.com and tell me what you think of controllers, what you think of keyboards and what you think of products like the Novation Launch Key, the Machine, and the Ableton Push. Let me know. Content 16s out of dump trucks. Nasty, that raw black tar, that uncut, that look 
man, you know you done fucked up. You mad cause I hit it on the nose, that's a blackout gun butt. Listen, homie, I pick up This is music from Blue Girl, and today this one might not last in this episode because we may actually have Carlos Aguirre, aka MC Infinite, the original writer of the song, come on to the show at some point later this week. So there might be a change to this episode sometime in the next week or so. So uh, keep your ears out for it. For now, though, I want to talk about the MC Infinite song, Wish a Motherfucker Would. Now, the story behind this track is pretty interesting, and my part in it is equally interesting. Well, maybe not equally, but there's an interesting component to it, but we'll get to that in a second. This song's story starts out a couple of years ago when Carlos, aka MC Infinite, had a beat sent to him by a producer, which ended up via miscommunication getting used by somebody else. Now, Carlos had already really fallen for this beat and started using this beat to write lyrics. And with no beat anymore, he had to find a solution. In comes Keith Pinto. Now, Carlos had Keith build a beat in a similar tempo and a similar time signature to this original one so he could use the lyrics that he had written. This is where Wish a Motherfucker Wood was born. Now, with the rest of Carlos's album, all of this material sat for a number of years and got kind of jumbled up. So when Carlos finally finished the album and was ready to send it to mixing, the album, by the way, was mixed by Casey Golden, and I highly recommend you check out his work. He does some great stuff. But when the album was supposed to be sent to mixing, all the files were just kind of in a million pieces. There was no real organization and everything was all askew. This is where I come in. Having to edit and consolidate half of the album, essentially doing a post-production job for Carlos before Casey got his hands on the files. This one was strange. As Keith and I talked about, this one is in two different tempos, um, that are very, very slightly apart, not terribly apart, and the human ear normally wouldn't pick this up unless you have a trained ear like us. So, building this track again took a lot of patience and some hair pulling. After a while, we finally figured out that the tempos were different and were able to get everything set back in order. Of course, this wasn't out without some plight, but in the end, we got to it. Now, I'm very proud of this one because after we got it all built, we kind of realized that it was a pretty hard start the way that it had been built from the tracks that I'd been sent. And so... In my post-production and consolidation engineering, I was able to arrange an intro for this track. 
Now, this is not the biggest amount of work that I did on the album. The biggest amount of work I did would be on a song called Legendary, where I produced, engineered, and kind of composed slash arranged uh, an intro to that song with my bandmate Evan Moore. But this one is one that I'm super proud of and really has a special place in my heart because it took a lot of patience and a lot of confusion and having to go kind of wade through the waters and get through the fog that was this track. So here it is, Wish a Motherfucker Would, produced by Keith Pinto, a.k.a. Ken Primo, uh, lyrics by MC Infinite featuring the beautiful talent of Breathless, aka Honey Bee, and MC Solati, also of Felonius, alongside KP and Carlos Aguirre. And on trumpet and trombone is our dear friend and fellow guest of Ready to Record, Adam Thies. Enjoy. Trouble not subtle with it. 
He said just up and took the breath out of me Spit it astoundingly, traverse the galaxy Save the day whenever you stuck on cake and fast Even battling, hold my way to you can shake a stick at This earthquake's where the feet at beneath that It's beautiful and amazing, entirely manipulous Textbook, terrific, mind-blowing, ridiculous Complete alliteration, sitting Nancy Vicious Hit on the cloud, it's too communal nimbus Sounds like I'm boasting, the truth hurts I'm like Tommy, the hitman, repping the record They've been prepping this heavyweight emphasis Birds, living spirits, hands out of you skirts Watch the vocal acrobat, take a crack at KP's Amazing drag, with the skill and speed of a cheetah Growling roar of a tiger, black and proud of a man The mysticalness of a liger, riding out for the wise and rise Instead of the sun, you feel it, pistol whipped, I'm real son of one Aim to maintain, bring your pain to the game When all this shit is the same, I issue me riding a punt Shit, y'all don't want none What's the motherfucker That's the show, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all of you. Special major big thank you to KP for coming on the show. Keith, it was so great having you on, and I can't wait to speak to you more soon, and I can't wait to hear an update about all the very many things that you and Carlos and everyone else are doing, and I really hope that I can catch a play of yours sometime when the world finally fully opens up. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. For all of you listening, tune in next time. We're going to have Mr. Tony Shepard on the show. That was a whole lot of fun. It's going to be a multi-part episode. I certainly enjoyed it. I think you guys will too. We get into everything from recording to production to what it's like running a label and co-designing music equipment. Just every piece of the recording industry in a nutshell. As always, there will be more gear to geek out on and more music to share with all of you. But for now, this is Daniel the D3 Cohen signing off from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios right here in San Francisco, California. We're ready to record.